All right, everybody, welcome to the Grab the Map podcast. This is John Crutchfield. Remember, this is where we don't just look at it, we grab the map. We're on YouTube and we're on, I believe we're on all the places you can get podcasts. And this morning, I'm really excited to jump right in and talk to you with David Olds. We've been trying over the last few weeks to bring in some big thinkers. And I'm so excited because um, every now and then I get to talk to somebody who's big, a big thinker. And that's going to definitely improve my my business, my network, but hopefully add value to you as well. Hey, David, you there? I'm here, man. Thank you so much for having me on, John. I've been really looking forward to this. Man, I'm glad that you're here. Um, man, big time investor out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And you're probably yeah. going to say you're not big time, aren't you? I can I'm see not it. big time, man. There's, <laughs> You know, I tell you, man, I, I tell this to people all the time, no matter where you're at in the in the life cycle of being an investor, if you haven't done one deal, you just want to be the guy who's done one. If you've done one, you want to be the guy who does five a month. If you're the guy that does 15 or 20 like us, you're the guy that wants to be, you know, doing 40 a month. So yeah, I mean, everybody, hopefully everybody's looking up and trying to grow. That's just how we, how we approach it. Yeah. Humble, humble, humble. I can tell from our conversation before we started the, the chat today. And I, I, I love it. I love it. You're, you're constantly thinking forward. Um, but also constantly staying humble. So why don't you just jump right in and tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, how you got into real estate investing, a little introduction. Sure. Sure. Um, Not probably not that that special of a story. Um, I grew up in Boston. I, uh, I actually went to UMass and got a degree in criminal justice, which I thought at the time I would do private, like security loss prevention was sort of big at the time. And, um, I had been, I worked my way through college in a retail store. And by the time I graduated, I was making more, you know, in retail as a manager than I would have ever with my degree. So I basically have a worthless degree. Um, The only time it came in handy was down the road when I had some tenants. So uh, dealing with them sometimes, but uh, yeah. So um, like two recessions ago (laughs) in the, uh, in the early nineties, my, uh, my parents, my dad, was in the computer industry. He lost his job. So he moved to Florida and uh, I graduated college. So I went down there with them and uh, got another job working in this hardware store, like a hardware chain, sort of, they're out of business now, but they were uh, kind of like between an Ace Hardware and a Home Depot, something like that. So, um, but I always grew up like with my dad fixing houses and doing, doing that type of stuff. And when my wife and I got married in 2002, we bought our first house and John, I mean, I, I went to closing and I come out of closing and I asked the realtor, like, how did we buy that house from Wells Fargo? <laughs> didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't really understand it. This is in 2002. And she's like, oh, well, that was a foreclosure. So the bank took it back and I sold it to you. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And I didn't, it kind of was always in the back of my mind and I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. But uh, because I grew up fixing houses and I worked in, you know, for this hardware company and, and eventually for a company like 84 Lumber, I was sort of around people fixing houses and doing those types of things. We bought this house and we did, you know, simple stuff. We took out the carpet, put in some laminate, painted, swapped out like a slider for a French door, changed some baseboards and moldings and sold it two years later and made like 53,000. And uh, my realtor told me, she said, hey, since you've lived in this house for two years, that's tax-free money. You don't have to pay taxes on it. Yeah. Knew it. I was like, wait a second. What? What? Are you telling me like this just money just goes right in my pocket and I don't have to pay any taxes on it? And she's like, no, no, it's like a homestead thing or something. And I'm like, oh man, that's 
freaking great. And the reason I was selling the house was to move closer to, to my job. So I thought to myself and talked to my wife, I'm like, hey, we could do this again. You know, my wife, she's like crazy, always on board with whatever shenanigans we've got going on. So we bought a bigger house. Like this was a house we bought for like 97, sold for 53 or something. Mm-hmm. So the next one, I'm like, let's buy a little bit bigger one because I'm thinking bigger house, bigger money. And uh, we bought this, this uh, the ugliest house in a beautiful neighborhood, which is perfect, right? I got lucky. So I bought this house for like 178, I think. And sold it two and a half years later for 300,000. Yeah. You know what that meant. And, you know, and I did all the work myself. So yeah, we made that money and, you know, I had sweat equity and then all that stuff. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So I'm like, at this point, something in my head clicks like, okay, you've got to figure this out. So short story, like a lot of people, somehow I ran into rich dad, poor dad and read that book. And, you know, at the end, he's like, you got to find a RIA. So I found the RIA in uh, Central Florida and just, you know, as a new person, just really immersed myself in everything that they had to, to offer with class, classes and seminars and boot camps and mentoring and coaching and all that kind of stuff. But um, funny story, people don't believe it now. And I tell them, like, they think I'm, I'm full of it. But when I went to that to their RIA meeting the first time, um, I drove all the way down to Orlando. It was about a 40 minute drive and it was held at this big theater. And dude, I, I pulled into the parking lot and there were all the, like, it's the third biggest RIA in the country. And there's cars everywhere. We buy houses, hard money, soft money, inspections, all this stuff. And uh, dude, I was afraid to go in, right? Because I was new and I was intimidated. And uh, like, I drove through the parking lot and went home and told my wife, oh, I just couldn't find it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, so, you know, if anybody's out there that's been afraid to go into their first meeting or something like that, believe me, I've been there. I understand um, I'm incredibly introverted. I don't, I don't like those kinds. I, I like being there, but the thought of going to something or even now a, uh, you know, a conference or something, you know, three weeks out, it seems like a great idea, but two days before I start getting all this anxiety. But, uh, but anyways, you know, I fought through that and it was one of the best decisions I made because I learned just so much about real estate. And uh, so this was in central Florida in like four five and six, 2004, five and six. And it was, it was almost like it is now. I mean, it was the wild west of, of investing. And uh, so that's kind of how we got our start. We got our start buying, fixing, flipping and reselling. And then, uh, and then like the world came to an end. Um, you know, it, it wasn't COVID, but the recession in 2000, late 2008, 9, 10. And, uh, you know, we knew we, we had to get out of there. So we started um, you know, again, we were going to some, some boot camps and learning about different markets and emerging markets. And, and we realized Chattanooga was, um, it never really had taken that dip like, like Florida took. Like Florida took a, you know, 30, 40% drop almost overnight. Chattanooga had a maybe eight or 10% drop um, from looking at home prices. And then, you know, it was a very good stable market. There were lots of different industries here. So we came to, we decided to move to Chattanooga. We sold our house, um, like literally sold everything. And uh, we probably had $5,000 between us by the time we were all, all said and done. And my wife and I, my brother, we moved to Chattanooga. We knew one person. We knew a realtor. And, uh, you know, we had kind of been going back and forth and had bought a duplex um, from a seller. We took over their mortgage. Um, so we did that. But we got up here and our plan was we were going to buy, we buy duplexes and multifamilies, right? Because that's what everybody wants to buy. Um, you know, all investors are just playing Monopoly. Like every single one that you talk to, everybody's trying to go from duplex to quad, quad to tenplex, ten to, you know, we all want to have apartment complexes. So 
So at this point, are you a full-time real estate investor at that point when you moved to Chattanooga? Yes and no. So I did get a transfer with my job with 84 Lumber to be an outside salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, John, what I would do is I would, I would roll into the office at about 6.30 in the morning, 7 o'clock, and I would do some paperwork and look like I was working. And then I would say, I'm going out to go talk to uh, you know contractors. You know. Yeah. Again, it was a recession, so nobody was really building. And basically what I was doing is I was going out and driving for dollars and yeah. talking to people and looking at properties that were on the MLS. Being a horrible employee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I was the worst. Yeah. And then at like 3.30, I'd go back to the office with my stack of stuff and say, yeah. you know." And I, I mean, I did legitimately go stop and talk to some people. But, you know, as I was going to see the build, uh, this builder, you know, that I maybe made an appointment with, you know, I'm driving for dollars, writing down addresses and doing all those types of things. So, um, so yes and no. And I, I think they kept me on for about two, two and a half months and uh, before they laid me off. But, um, but yeah, it was literally, you know, the, the burn the boats thing where, where we're going to the city and we, we knew we were coming here for real estate yeah. and we were going to make it work. Um, and, you know, people sometimes ask like, well, how were you successful? I'm like, well, we were successful because we were willing to, to do what nobody else would do. We were willing to work freaking hard. Um, you know, this was, this was 10, 15 years ago. And I, I tell people, you know, I'm like that old guy, like we walked uphill in snow, both ways to school. Like there was no SMS blasting. There was no ringless voicemails. There was pay-per-click, like none of that stuff really existed. It was all in its, its infancy. Well, we, we had a couple things. We sent postcards we did driving for dollars and you could door knock <laughs> like that. That was what you did. Right. So and made at signs. So, um, you know, but we were fastidious about doing those things. Like we, we were driven. We were, I tell people we were too stupid to quit. So like every Friday night we'd go out and we put out a hundred bandit signs every single Friday night for two years. Like anybody who's put out a hundred bandit signs knows that's a lot of work. Um, yeah. Even with two or three people jumping in and out of the car, it takes you, three to four hours, right? Depending upon what the weather is. So, you know, we do that at like 10 o'clock at night, every single Friday night during the day, we're driving for dollars. Like I'm coming home and I'm giving my wife this list and she's handwriting yellow letters or sending postcards or doing whatever, you know, we're on every webinar we could possibly be on. We, uh, like we are the, the perfect picture of people who started with absolutely nothing. And, uh, we just worked really hard. Um, you know, everything in life is like time or money, right? You've got, yeah. you've got one of those two things. We had time and we had zero money. Yeah. So I think, I think a lot of our audience will resonate with that. You know, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are just trying to get started. Maybe they have a little money, maybe they don't, um, but they need to hear that, right? That they, they either have time or they have money or maybe they've got a little experience. You did have a little bit of experience, like kind of growing up around construction and, and, you know, home remodeling, home building, that kind of thing. So you were able to partner up with, in this case, your wife, it sounds like, and you all like just jump all in and, and, and burn the boats. So that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing all kinds of things that I resonate here with. And for those people that are listening, I, I want to go back to some things he's saying, right? He, he okay. says he's an introvert, right? He's, he's, He's quiet. He doesn't like settings like this, but he, he's on this podcast right now. Uh, he's he's actually a, a nationally renowned speaker. He gets invited to speak and, and he's doing that. Right. He's he's an introvert who's doing extroverted behaviors. Um, he talked about his first RIA meeting where he drove through and didn't even go in because he, he was a little bit intimidated. 
and uh, how a couple of days, you know, before a conference, he's like, why did I sign up for this? That's that's so me, David. That's me. Yeah. Just just like, man, it was a great idea when I said I know I need to do this. Get me outside of my comfort zone, be around some big thinkers, be around people that are doing big things. And but now I got to go do it and be uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, hearing you hearing you say that is 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 very reassuring. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe um, talk to us about right now. Like I'm going to fast forward a little bit. You know, what's your business look like today? Um, What would you say? your business activities are on a daily basis? Okay. So we, we run a couple different businesses and they're all mostly parallel to each other. Um, the, my most active business, is we wholesale nationwide. Our company is Nationwide Property Liquidators. And we've actually got a pretty big staff. We fluctuate in between, between like 13 and 16, kind of 17 people, depending upon who's in, who's out at the time. So the wholesaling, that's where I probably spend the most amount of time because that, that's very active investing, right? Um, and we've, we've, you know, we started virtual wholesaling before there was all these courses to tell you how to do it. Right. <laughs> and uh, so we sort of had, again, we're like, well, let's, let's wholesale nationwide and, and we figured out all the things not to do. But uh, yeah, so we've kind of got our company broken up into some different pieces. There's marketing for sellers. There's our acquisitions people, and then we have marketing for buyers. We have a full dispositions department. Um, you know, we, we treat dispositions just like acquisitions in our company. We're very aggressive and proactive. Um, we've never been on the plan of, I'm just going to put one sign in the yard and hope somebody drives by and calls me to buy this property. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we have a full transactions department that kind of takes all that and bundles it together and gets, gets the property through, through title and a closing to get a check. And because we do that on such a big scale, that draws in a lot of joint venture business. So um, we have investors all over the country who will bring us their deals and, you know, that they, they're unable to sell and we'll help them get it sold. So, so we do quite a bit of joint venture business and that's like our wholesaling business. That's probably the thing, you know, of the time that I do work, that's 90% of my time. So let's, let's just make sure, you know, cause you'll, you'll probably have some folks who reach out after this. You're, you're in Birmingham. You're in Chattanooga. We're in, let me see if I can kind of run through. I kind of got to do it in the map of my head. So we're actually in all 37 of the disclosure states. Right? Okay. So that's where we're marketing. Okay. Um, but we're doing deals in, in all the rest of them. Like Texas is a non-disclosure state, but we've always got people reaching out and saying, hey, I've got this deal in San Antonio or El Paso or Texas or Dallas or whatever it is. So right. we'll, we can operate pretty much any place. Our outbound marketing that we do on our side, it's just easier to um, to pull lists and do marketing in, in states where public, you know, public information on the sale is readily available. And that's kind of a longer, deeper conversation. But right. um, yeah, so so we work in all the states. Our main markets, the markets that were kind of like our hubs that we all, like if anything happens, we can always retreat back to them. Huntsville, Chattanooga, Charlotte, Atlanta, um, you were doing some stuff in Tampa at one point too, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, we love Tampa. I used to live down there. That was one of the places I lived. I yeah. toured Florida when I lived in. I lived in like eleven different cities down there. Um, yeah. yeah, Tampa's beautiful. In fact, I'll be down there at the end of September um, looking at some deals. Yeah, so national wholesaler, virtual wholesaling, even if that's not the name of it. Um, everybody's got their own unique name. They want to put a spin on it, but yeah, we're just, we're just wholesaling out of the markets. That's all. Okay. So you and your, you and your wife, you all start doing this, you pick up some wholesaling. Um, 
then you got into rental property, right? We did. It's kind of funny, John. So we came here wanting to buy rental properties. And then we realized, oh, you have to get these loans and you have to do all this stuff. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a problem. And, uh, you know, because how much of that can you do? Um, so, I mean, that was our initial plan. But again, we're doing so much marketing, right? I tell people like we took this huge net and we threw it out and we drug all these different deals in. So what happened is we started getting like deals that were like, hey, this would be really good for me. Like, I'd really like this deal. And, but we knew bank financing for us at the time, it just, we just couldn't get it. You know, my credit wasn't where it needed to be. Sadly, I had a house foreclosed on, um, you know, kind of like everybody else, right? At the time during the, during the, the crisis, like things were bad. And again, go back in time, it's the recession, right? Banks aren't lending money like they, like they were a few years before. Um, and it's still not that like loosey goosey, but, uh, there really, there wasn't the hard money lenders, like, you know, they're hard money lender on every corner now and these nationwide guys like Longhorn. And so it's very easy relatively to get money compared to how it was then. So, um, I had taken this course a couple of years before a guy named Chris Kirshner. He's not even in real estate anymore, but he had this amazing like course and he taught, taught you how to do owner financing, kind of like the old Carlton sheets thing. Yeah. So, uh, I'm like, well, let's try this, right? Like here's, you know, I made this person a cash offer. They wouldn't accept it. And, uh, you know, I said, well, listen, Hey, do you need all the cash now? Right. <laughs> and sometimes the answer was yes. Sometimes the answer was no, but every time we started asking and what happened over the course of the next three or four years is we accumulated this rental portfolio. Uh, I think at our height, we had almost 80 properties, 78 or 80 properties. And every single one of them we bought with owner financing with almost no money down. Um, I think I, my portfolio now is somewhere around 4 million and I've got $6,000 in down payment money. So, I mean, just an enormous portfolio and we did it all through, through owner financing. So, you know, there's more than one way to, you know, to attack, attack real estate. And depending upon what your situation is, you know, some people are frustrated, like, oh, I have bad credit. Well, you don't need great credit to, to have a, a seller who has a free and clear property to own a finance it to you. Um, you know, you don't, there's just always a way, right? And you just got to have that mentality of, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to get this done? So, um, so yeah, the short story, we, we used owner financing and some taking over mortgages and some of that stuff. We got a little bit creative and we built this amazing, amazing portfolio that, you know, cash flows for us and it's, it's going to pay us forever. Now, were those properties all in Chattanooga or did you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we didn't go virtual until about three and a half years ago. So this was all stuff that we were buying in 2009, 10, 11, 12. Mm -hmm. Probably the last pack, we, we bought a package in uh, 2016 that was pretty big. And then once we flipped over to having a big staff and doing wholesaling, um, and of course the market was going crazy. So we, we pulled back on that a little bit, but uh, we're about to hire two people to just put them on purchasing properties that way nationwide um, with owner financing. So it sets a strategy that we're going to, we're going to refocus on here pretty soon. It's one of my favorite ways to buy property. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those ways where you can really get started with very little of your own money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially if you can focus on finding a problem, uh, helping a seller solve a problem right. and, 
kind of doing some education to explain to them why it might be a better solution for them than just getting a lump sum check. Absolutely. A lot of sellers have, have kind of gotten hit to it now. Um, I'm seeing a lot more people make offers that include seller financing. So when I talk to them, a lot of the sellers know what it is already. Oh, yeah. And, uh, that's that's helping because, you know, it might not have gotten offered by a good operator before or somebody with experience. And so you're you're not having to kind of start from from zero. Yeah. But I've done a similar thing, you know, building a portfolio with with a mix of bank money and seller finance loans and all of that. And so I know what it takes to run a large portfolio like this. <laughs> um, just kind of joking about getting getting it stabilized and, and that sort of thing. How, when you were scaling up, like what did your team look like in managing a portfolio that size? It, pretty small, myself and my wife. Um, and my, you know, my brother, when, when he was part of our company, so that was it, it was the three of us. So when we started buying these rentals, um, and I, I recommend this for, for really for everybody, like I went and changed the toilets. I cut the grass, you know, the three of us, it was the three of us. This was it, right. That we didn't have, again, no money. We just had a lot of time. So we went and turned the units. We did the painting, you know, if we had to swap out a vanity or a water heater, or fix the front rail or fix the, fix the front steps or crawl underneath the house to do something like we did all probably all, you know, other than like running a sewer line, you know, where we might hire a plumber or hiring for air conditioning, like we had no money. So, you know, we did it all. And my brother and I, of course, we grew up doing a lot of this type of stuff. So, um, you know, so that was our team and we very quickly, realized we didn't want to be running around picking up rent from people. So, you know, we had an office, so we switched everybody over. Hey, rent is due on the first, late on the fifth, and it gets delivered to the office. We put a little mail slot in and, and, and flipped them over to that. So um, you use the perfect word stabilizing, right? So every property that came in, that was our goal before we, you know, raised the rent, you know, we kind of stabilized them, made sure that you know, there was no, we weren't on the everyday doing repairs kind of thing from them. We got, we got the rent coming in continuously and, um, you know, just stabilized. I don't know what other word, what other yeah. word to call it. And then over time, you know, as we grew these properties and somebody moved out, well, that was when we went in and did, did a rehab, you know, we, you know, fresh carpet if we needed to, fresh paint. So even if a property was in a terrible area, you know, I always tell people like I would live there, right? It was clean, had good paint, the carpet, it was either new or, you know, we had a professionally clean, the toilets worked, the electrical worked, you know, it was a nice, clean, safe property. Now outside, I may not have left my dog outside all day. Right. right. I left the property, but we, we always tried to provide good, good, affordable housing for people. So the team was small. Um, you know, the first thing I hired was somebody to cut the grass because I got tired of doing that. As we got to 15, 20 properties, it felt like every other week, John, all I did was cut grass. And yeah. so that was that was probably the first person that we hired. Um, and then from there, I had like a part-time office girl who would collect rent and, and key some stuff into QuickBooks. Um, but that was it. Like we went all the way to, to 70-something properties with just that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a good lean way to get started. I remember probably four years ago asking my mentor, uh, Mike Alfred, hey, when do I hire help? And I, I was working full-time job and you know, I had gotten to like 30, maybe 30 properties. Mm -hmm. And uh, I now realize that that's when I needed help. My wife works full-time and she doesn't want anything to do with rentals. 
And uh, well, my wife, my wife, I, I don't let her talk to tenants. <laughs> One time we were at a property and her and this tenant started screaming at each other. I grabbed her by the back of the shirt. And I'm like, well, you're out of here. You're done. Yeah, and so I was asking, hey, when do I hire help? And now I realize I needed help when I started asking. Right. So, you know, you you definitely um, you definitely feel start to feel when you need to maybe start with some part time assistance. Yeah. And when I hired my first first employee and basically told her, I do not want to talk to tenants. I do not <laughs> want to handle anything with a tenant. That's when I was able to go out and just really start buying like crazy. Dude, um, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm getting a te- text from one of my tenants and they yeah. still have my number, even though I've got an office manager. So, same, hey, same thing, same thing here. And it's like you want to you want to help them. But I'm like, now I've got it to where I've got to I've got to be focused on those those high level tasks and yeah, got to contact the office. That's why they're there. So 100%. That's, that's that's pretty cool. OK, so this is a, a question. You've got a great wholesaling business. Yeah. You start picking up some rentals. OK, mm-hmm. um, when do you really start to feel like you're moving the needle in a real estate business? And what does that feel like? Like when you when you really realize because I. I mean, I've got a bunch of properties. I would probably say I still don't feel like, you know, like yeah. this 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 uh, mogul or this person that, you know, <laughs> I just feel like my yeah. same old self. You know, I still call the same friends. You know, I still sure. do dinner Friday night, movie nights with the kids. You know, it's yeah, just, yeah. when do you start feeling like you've accomplished what it is you want to accomplish? I don't know, man. I'm not the guy to ask. Like, when, when, you, <laughs> when you figure it out, tell me. Um yeah, dude. I mean, I don't know, dude. I, I wear $40 New Balances and jeans from Kmart. I don't know. I don't know when I don't know when you arrive. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. When, I guess when you when you have when you have the money to do some of the things that you that you wanted to do. Right. Um, so for us in the beginning, the best analogy I ever can give people is like, think of going to the top of this really big hill with grass and getting one of those old red like wagons you know with like the handle on the front and yeah in the beginning for us we i was like the you know the fat kid in the wagon just going down the hill with arms out legs out we're just buying houses we're flipping houses we're cashing checks just you know all this radio stuff is going flyer on. yeah radio flyer that's it i couldn't pull it out of my head um yeah, yeah just be like no breaks we're just we're just doing it right we're just doing stuff we're wholesaling we're making money we're buying properties and then you get to the bottom of the hill after like two or three years and you're like oh my god like i've got a real business i've created yeah like how did that happen like i have like i have like attorneys now that i'm dealing with and title companies and accountants and like i had to get my act together (laughs) so we probably went four or five years before we really like cleaned up all of our business stuff right um, and started doing our taxes correctly and, and all those types of things. Um, but to kind of answer your question, the way that, that I structured it for me, because I'm a little bit older than you, so um, and because I was doing owner financing, I could set the terms of whatever I wanted. So all of my properties have a very accelerated amortization, right? So what that means is because I started at 40, really being serious about buying stuff, I never put anything out more than 20 years because my thought process was, hey, at some point I want to retire, right? right. At some point I want to be done. And when I was buying these properties, I was okay. So I didn't ever buy my rentals to live off of the cash flow. That was never the intention for me, right? So I wasn't putting them on these 30 and 35, 40 year terms. I was putting them on 
10, 5, 7, 14, 20 um, year amortization so that I could get them all paid off as quickly as possible. So I was perfectly okay with $150 a door for cash flow, right? I did a very caveman math. You know, what's my mortgage going to be? What's my interest? What's my insurance? You know, subtract those things from the, the current rental amount. Do I have 150, maybe 200 bucks a door? Fantastic, right? Because I want to pay it down fast. Yeah. So the way I set it up was from those rentals, what cash flow was there, that's what paid for my house, my office, and my cell phone, and like my health insurance, right? So my rentals supported my life, like, you know, the very stripped down version of my life. So my thought was like, listen, I can just from my rental, sit at home in my underwear and watch Oprah all day, right? I mean, I'm not going anyplace. I'm not doing any trips or anything, but, but that's how my rentals were set up. And then my wholesale business was what we used to fund our life, right? So yeah. that's how we traveled the world and we'd go to Europe for 30 days or go to South America for 30 days or China for three weeks or whatever it was. And that's kind of the thought process that we always had. Um, you know, my wife would say, Hey, I want to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, okay, great. Well, that's just one more deal. Like, just go do a deal, like one extra deal. That's all it is. So if we're doing six this month or eight this month, and you want to go, you want to go take a cruise for, for 14 days and it's going to be 5,000 bucks. Great. We just got to do one more deal. <laughs> go out and do some more driving. <laughs> Find me one more deal. And that's, you know, that's, I think a different way that entrepreneurs have a mindset of, well, just whatever you want to do is just one more of whatever, right? One more of whatever you're doing, right? It's not necessarily, oh, well, let me save $50 a week extra. Well, let me just go do one more deal, right? So. That's exactly how I think about it. A lot of times I think about it like, okay, I want this truck or I want this 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 uh, vacation. Let me go figure out how to get a tenant to pay for it. Let me yeah, go figure exactly, out how, absolutely. 100%. How, to, how to get an asset to pay for it. And uh, it's powerful, you know, really? owning real estate, it's powerful having options, right? So, you know, we're kind of getting to where um, I wanted to be here. Like, how would you say real estate benefited your life? How, how did it, how has it changed your life versus, you know, what it would have been otherwise? It, it really, it's freedom, man. I mean, if, if you had to give one word, um, and it's crazy too, because as, as entrepreneurs, we probably work harder for ourselves than we ever worked for anybody else. But I have freedom and flexibility that, you know, if I want, you know, at the time when, when I ran a very small shop and, you know, I was doing a little bit of wholesaling, I could turn my, turn my wholesaling off, leave, and we've done this multiple times, leave for 30 days. You know, I knew when I was coming back, I would crank up my marketing about a week before we'd come, you know, I prepay it to start. And that way, the day I landed, I've got leads, right? So it, it's just freedom. Um, it's just allowed us, one thing my wife and I were really passionate about is traveling and seeing other places and cultures and people. And we've been lucky enough to, to go like from Dubai to China to all around South America and Europe a bunch of times. So it's, it's given us that ability to go and do the things we wanted to do. Um, you know, I've got a grandson now because I'm getting old and we have the ability to like, we can stop on any day and shoot up to, to Ohio to, to go see them or like I've got the money to fly them, fly them to us. Right. So it's just allowed us to create the life that we want. And, you know, that's, that's what this business does for us is it serves, you know, it serves the life that, that we want to lead, you know, whatever, and every, anybody can do that. Right. Like whatever your, like the, the life that you envision for yourself, you know, you can build your real estate business around that. Now, like saying that, 
like it can't be 90% travel and 10% work. Absolutely. You you still got to put in the work and do the time, um, you know, because everything is a trade-off. Yeah. I I think that that's, you know, that's a similar thing. You know, my wife and I were driving back from New Orleans last night. We had a great, just in New Orleans. Yeah. Just like a great weekend, July 4th in New Mm -hmm. Orleans, you know, great Airbnb with a private pool and the kids really enjoyed themselves. Her dad was able to, he lives in New Orleans. He was able to come over and stay for a few nights in this luxurious, you know, hotel. And we're just thinking to each other, like when we got married 15 years ago, like Mm -hmm. we, that the first house we bought was like a a, a real shack of a place. (laughs) And we're just like, did you ever think that we were going to be doing this? And we didn't. We'd never thought that that would be a lifestyle that we'd be able to, to, to participate in, but you're right. Like there's work that, that has to come before that. And that's, um, you talked about how you started doing a lot of the work yourself, how you started um, putting sweat equity in and time in um, really building a foundation before you started doing all of that, you know, that extra stuff. And that can't be skipped. Right. That that work, that grind, especially that first three, four, five years is hard sometimes. Um, But you see the result at the end. And when I was kind of building up, that's the stuff I still ask guys like you, like, is it worth it? (laughs) You know, is it worth it? Yeah. I I mean, John, I mean, look at look at anything, uh, you know, uh, who you're like a football team. Right. They have they have spring train not spring training or, or whatever college I'm a football fan. I can't think of this, you know, training camp. Right. So they've got to do the work, right. They've got to get in the, in the gym. They've got to, to pump the iron. They've got to do the drills. They've got to do the stuff, you know, spring training for baseball, you know, that pitcher is going to go out there and throw 10,000 pitches. You've got, you've got to put in the time. The only way around that is buying it and Holy smokes, you have no idea what you're doing and you're just going to spend money. I mean, you're going to learn, you're going to learn just the same lessons, but going to cost you a fortune right um so i do i recommend like go change a water heater go change a toilet because what that does and maybe i didn't explain it before is is later down the road when you do hire people and someone's like yeah it's uh 450 to replace a toilet i'm like dude it's 95 bucks for a all-in-one toilet kit at lowe's it comes with everything comes with the wax ring the tank the bowl and the uh and the supply line and 100 bucks to put it in 200 how are you coming up with 450 Right. So just by going through that little season where you do the work yourself, you know, it gives you a sense of what things should cost. Right. Um, I had somebody quote me $19,000 to paint a big house that we're just getting ready to start remodeling. I'm like, dude, you're on crack. There's no way it's $19,000 for two weeks work. Right. So, but if I hadn't done that and rolled the walls and cut, cut it in and figured out how to do it, like that's how you get taken advantage of. So, um, you know, go through that season and put in that work and, uh, you know, it'll save you money and help you in the long run. Hey, look, you, you've definitely blessed our audience this morning. I think that anybody listening can get motivated by somebody who thinks like you, they start really from, you know, no money (laughs) and build a portfolio, build a business. Um, you know, how can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out to you further, maybe follow you on social media? I know you have a pretty active 
Facebook and Instagram, right? I do. Well, yeah, I post a lot of stuff on there. Instagram's new for me. I'm like a 49-year-old guy. So the girls in my office love to make fun of me because I call it the Twitter. And I've just discovered TikTok, which I think is the greatest thing ever. But um, you can lose five hours of your life. Yeah. Um, but no, the, the easiest way to find me, um, I have the same name, handle, whatever you call it, <laughs> across all the platforms. It's yeah. David Olds, REI with no spaces. And uh, yeah, I love follow me on Instagram. That's probably the easiest place to find me. Um, you know, shoot me a message. I'll, I'm happy to interact and help with anybody in, in any way that I can. Um, yeah, I love doing that. I love I love helping helping new investors and trying to point them in the right direction. Because I remember that day when I was afraid to to, to stop at the RIA and go in there. And uh, when I finally did, the people you know they were they were so helpful and. Uh, you know, I, I definitely remember those those days and, and being the scared guy walking into a, you know an event because I'm still that guy. You know, I still walk in and wonder, oh, my God, why am I here? Why did I get invited? Yeah. David Oles, R-E-I. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is really a great rate, great way to reach you. Um, I'm out there as well at Grab the Map. And everybody knows I answer every single email that goes to grabthemap at gmail.com. David Oles, this has truly been a blessing for me. Uh, This podcast is just kind of going to give me some juice to keep going and give me some juice to uh, keep helping people. And it's good to see that you're willing to do the same. Uh, Just any closing thought that you'd like to share with the audience before we before we uh, wrap up here. And so two things. There's just no substitute for hard work. Um, You know, it's really not. You have to get in and put the time in. sort of the last thing that, that I've come to realize the last few years. And what's amazing is I learned this by going out and, and putting myself out there, being, being at events around the country. Um, find, being an entrepreneur is really lonely, right? You can feel like a man on an island. You, know, you get up in the morning, you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's wholesaling or trying to buy rentals. And you know, you feel like you're out there by yourself. So I tell people, like, find a tribe, right? A small tribe. Like, it doesn't have to be 100 people, but find yourself three or four friends, allies that that you can bounce information off of, ask them questions, share the good stuff, share the bad stuff, and kind of be there for each other and, you know, be, get in this journey and, and, and do it together. So, you know, maybe if it's not, it doesn't have to be people from around the country. It can be a couple people in your market. But just some people that you really connect with and resonate with and you have shared values. And man, I'm telling you, like I've been through some stuff in my company in the last couple of months where we've done a bunch of upheaval and changed a bunch of people out. And having those guys that I can call and uh, say, hey, man, what do you think about this? Here's what I'm thinking about. Or what are you doing? What can I help you with? And just you have that common that commonality and it, it just, you, there's no substitute for that. And that's really invaluable. Yeah, yeah, that's that's something that is really important having that connection to people that are like-minded um, and, and that real nucleus where you can really bear all, you know? Yeah. yeah. Be honest with people, you know, cause everybody wants to think, you know, look, because I'm here and you invited me and I'm so thankful to be on here, but like, yeah. I'm like a regular, like we have a company, right? I have people that work for me. So there are stuff like there are issues. People have problems. Sometimes you have to let people go today, you know, in two hours, I'm starting a new person. I'm going to be doing some training. So like, that's the real stuff behind this, this uh, business. Don't, man, don't get on Instagram and think, you know, people are, it's, it's all perfect because they've got a Rolex and a flashy car. I've got a nice car and a Rolex too, man. I'm telling you, like life goes on and we all have struggles that we have to work through. So yeah. um, don't think that anybody's better than you. That's, that's great advice. Hey, look, David, I appreciate you so much for doing this.
Yeah, man, I love it. It was great. Really, really been beneficial. Um, if you want to reach out to David, don't forget about his Instagram, David Oles, R-E-I. And don't forget, you can always reach out to us um, in the Wealth and Real Estate Facebook group or at Grab the Map. Hey, don't just look at it. Grab the map.